Jace Toland. And I am Jesse Dunn. Uh, this is uh, a review podcast for Tales from the Crypt. So there you have it. If you've been wondering what we've been rambling on about for episodes and episodes, if it's just a fever dream, it's even real, it's we're, we're actually reviewing a show, just to make that clear. Uh, and today we have actually a, uh, an incredibly special episode. Um, when I was getting back into going through these seasons, I you know I kind of had a little bug in my ear, and I wanted to just see like, man, I wonder like how do these rate? How does like the internet rate these against each other? And apparently, uh, season three, episode fourteen, yellow. Uh, I believe it's the season finale. Season three is one of one of the highest rated episodes. So uh, knowing that going in, I mean, I think we got one hell, one hell of a show today. Well, they're always kind of based in hell. A lot of these shows, uh, they don't have happy endings. So yeah, I think it's it, you know the the Crypt Keeper probably exists in some sort of pseudo Cenobite Hellraiser universe. You know he's probably a Cenobite. Yeah, agreed, totally. So yellow. This had a number of stars in it: Kirk, Kirk Douglas, Eric Douglas, Dan Aykroyd. Mm-hmm. Those are our stars, and. Uh, Eric Douglas, the lesser known of yeah, the, the uh, youngest. Douglases. He's the youngest. Yeah. Okay. They're like the front lines of like Oh yeah. A yeah. war. Yeah, it's World War One, nineteen eighteen. Apparently we get some opening uh, cr- title credits, uh, and it's also say stating that it's not a specific place, it's just somewhere in France on the 49th day of continuous battle. But uh, I think before we get too far in with the establishing, I think we ought to check in with Crypty for uh, like just a second. And you know, I, he, he clearly got back from a World War I. Um, Cosplay party? Well, like, I think there's like another, there's like a more Reenactment? Yeah, okay. Well, I mean, just look at Crypty, you know, it looks like he just got back from World War One reenactment. Um, he he's out of control, he's got his rifle, he's clearly having way too much fun down there. Uh yeah, he's he's uh he's shouting in the air, firing squad, prison, arms! Fire off tonight's dead time story. He's just making, you know, the yeah. thickest amount of war puns. Yeah. Putting everything he can into one sentence. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he's talking about a young soldier who doesn't want to be in the army anymore. And he says, I can't imagine why not. He was a great equal opportunity 
destroyer. Oh yeah, war, war, Ooh. war, equal opportunity destroyer. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, that's some that's some insight from he, our boy. That's right. He, he really goes deep in those first few moments, and uh, he was having so much fun. Mm-hmm. He shooting actually, people he sh- off camera. Or it, nothing, most likely, you know. I, yeah, I think it yeah. just 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 his madness down there. Um, but I think the best, you know, how it ends, like how the story begins. He actually shoots one of the books off of his shelf, and it flips over magically, and boom, right to where we need to be, yellow. That was impressive marksmanship. It was. It really, it truly was. Yeah, you're right. He used his rifle to fire the story off the shelf onto the page in mm-hmm. which it begins with a picture of three men on a battlefield. And we zoom into the book page and we dissolve into a battlefield. A hellacious battlefield, like Saving Private Ryan style. Oh, but, but not before we spend at least a little time looking at this daffodil growing up in the mud. And some light breeze blowing on it. Um, you know, because, hey, I mean, you, you, there's a lot of action, there's a lot of crazy stuff happening, but you gotta take the time to just really appreciate just the, the beauty in nature and that hellish landscape. And then, yeah, boom, right into, like, a very impressive World War I uh, reenactment-type battle scene. Like, it, it felt real. It felt really good, especially how dated it is. It's amazing. Hey, by the way, and what color was that flower? It was yellow. Hmm. Yep. <laughs> I'm pretty sure daffodils are yellow. I also kind of thought it was a dandelion, but I'm not very good at identifying flowers. So, if you figure out what kind of flower it is, uh, write in. But we know for sure it's a yellow flower, and they put the title of the show, Yellow, up at the moment they were showing this single yellow flower. Grown in the mud. Grown in the mud. Mm-hmm. And that mud was our battlefield, mm-hmm. where our opening scene explodes into action. Mm-hmm. There's men getting fired at from all sides. It's really impressive how many extras they actually have. There's somewhere between 30 and 50 guys. I tried to count. Right. Realistically, on camera at one time, all doing different things. Shouting, screaming, getting blown up, Various throwing stages of, yeah. It's war, man. Mm-hmm. Really impressive stunts. Again, for an opening scene, for a TV show... I thought early 90s, before we really got CGI down, everything was being performed live like a reenactment. I was already into it. I already thought it was cool. And, uh... Just really well done, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, uh... It says, there's a, there's a title on the screen that says, this is the 49th day of continual battle. Yes, yes. The uh, so we kind of open up the the battle's raging. It it was again very impressive, um, like well done. Uh, there's this I believe some sort of corporal wandering around. Well, he's a sergeant. For, he's a sergeant, and he has a whistle. The guy who's playing the sergeant. Mm-hmm. The guy who's the whistleblower. He's, he's wandering around looking for the lieutenant. Yeah, and with you, which is actually a pretty great little scene because he's crawling around. Lieutenant, from one? trench to trench, dude. This no, there is, is no so trench. No, there is no trench in the, the. It's just open battlefield for the most part, with like some like wire. But he's crawling around. He's like, "Have you seen? Have you seen anyone see the lieutenant? You see the lieutenant?" He flips over this dude, and he's dead. And he's like, "Damn!" And he crawls, 
crawls and he, he, he's like talking to this other guy. And he Did you realized, see the lieutenant? Do you see the lieutenant? Flips over that guy. Damn! He's dead too. And then he finally finds someone who's alive, definitely moving around, squirming around. Have you seen the lieutenant? And then he starts answering him, but then he gets like shot up real Whoa. bad. Like his that, arm explodes. That yeah, that guy. So and he goes, uh, God damn! Yeah, Sergeant crawls up. Sergeant crawls up and says, have you seen the lieutenant? To the third guy. Yep. Third guy says, yes, points, arm explodes. Yep. It just, yeah, just this hyper gore. And he's like, yeah, goddamn. And so he's like, okay, now, you know, our sergeant knows where the lieutenant is. So he's going he's gonna to take a little stroll down a trench this time. Because he, uh, assuming he's not just chilling on the open battlefield now. So he's going around, going around. He looks. Oh, what's this? There's a curtain. No, in oh, the, 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 the trench. Oh, what's, who's making this blanket for? Yeah, right there, there's like a little blanket curtain going on in the trench, on one of the walls. Mm-hmm. It's just this little cute, like uh, perfectly clean, perfectly clean sheet yeah, hanging, yeah. covering something. And our sergeant, the whistle man, who's been screaming for the lieutenant this entire time, mm-hmm. pulls back the curtain. And we find this lieutenant lounging back up against the inside of his little cubby, feet crossed, stretched out in front of him. Oh, lounging. Max lounging. Drinking on a little flask. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, he, he seems like he's having a good time. He's found a way to enjoy the war. He's sitting back. Mm-hmm. He's staying intoxicated, taking it easy, thinning the blood. Mm-hmm. But man, this uh, this sergeant, his blood's boiling. He's pissed because he knows the you know the the uh, the command above the lieutenant wants everyone to take that hill they're yeah. near, and he's so flabbergasted. He's like, "Come on, lieutenant, how can you be doing this? We need to be out there taking that hill." Lieutenant's like, "No, no, 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 no. I can see from where I'm at." It's impossible. We gotta call a retreat. Signal that retreat, yo. And sergeants, mm, you know, no. The no, general I... said we need to take that hill. The sergeant is trying to follow the orders of the general. However, the sergeant reports to the lieutenant, mm-hmm. and the lieutenant's saying, "No, it's impossible. We retreat. We're not taking the hill. I don't care about your orders." Mm-hmm. Fire that flare, and so he fires that flare begrudgingly. Uh, the retreat flare up in the air. Yep, and then you know, before almost before it would even really truly be visible, and you'd have a second to react. They ar'd in someone saying retreat, like as it's like barely left the the barrel for like point one seconds. They just they just someone out there just knows it's time, and they're stoked, so they're gonna let everyone know, and they start moving back. Uh, long story short, the sergeant. Hauls his butt right back to the general that we can assume, um, and that uh, role is played by Kirk Douglas. And we soon find out, and we get a little ahead, but we soon find out that the lieutenant and the general are related. They, uh, you know, general being the father. Uh, anyway. So let me take it from when the retreat flare goes up in the air. Yes. Because I really relate. I 
See, that would be me. I would be the guy on the battlefield who would be always listening and looking for that retreat flare. Mm -hmm. I would be doing as little as possible, like in any job, just so I don't get in trouble, because I have to be there, but always looking to get off early and go home and call it quits. So I would just have this Pavlovian response that anytime I heard a flare, I looked in that direction, and if it was the retreat flare, well, that's that. So you were that guy. You, Retreat! You, I'm calling it. Yeah. First to it. First one. First home. Like, oh shit, it looks like it's gonna rain, guys. It's gonna rain. Yo, Game over. Snow day. Snow day. Call it quits. Call it quits. Yep. And, uh, and so I, I understand. I understand. And we assume then that our forces, they're all retreating, and we cut to another trench, or maybe the similar trench, but somewhere along the line. And we see Dan Aykroyd, and he's walking. Yeah, yeah, Dan Aykroyd is so, on the 49th day of continuous battle, he is so chill just walking down this trench. He he looks well-rested, he looks like he's eating well, he looks completely unfazed. There's explosions going on behind him, Michael Bay style, the whole trek up to the general's office, and... Yeah, I'm just, I'm not buying it, Dan Aykroyd. I think you need to spend a couple nights in an actual trench if you want to come back and try to attempt such a prestigious acting role as to depict these honorable men and women who died in battle in World War One. You're totally doing a disservice here, bud. Anyway. Oh, well, I felt completely the opposite. I thought, this is the first real actor in the whole film. <laughs> Absolutely. Forget those other guys who are running around, exploding, firing, screaming, yelling. That's easy. Dan Aykroyd is actually in the moment so calm. His, his face looks like he's almost perplexed or bored, like he's got nothing to do. Mm -hmm. It's so easy for him to walk these trenches and be at war and report. And like, and, it's like almost like he just can walk off a couple feet off the side where they're filming and, and just like be in total luxury it's almost like he's it's almost like he's not there really i'm not gonna argue <laughs> i'm gonna support his performance yeah i mean i found it convincing and it was the first time that i felt like all right now there's some range here not everyone is just in fear of dying or dying mm -hmm. fighting and freaking out right. this man has been at war for so long they also it's when they they use this like uh in the background there's some type of like soft like whistle music it's a little uplifting and dan Aykroyd walks into the general's quarters because mm -hmm. he's reporting on what's happening with the german forces right and they just have this brief conversation uh there's some tactics talks that's when the sergeant busts in and he's like I, uh, excuse me excuse me but uh i feel you know i probably should like re report to you guys like straight away and they're like oh yeah come on in and they give him a smoke, and he's like, oh, yeah. And he just keep, you know, he just tells them that, hey, you know, with all due respect, and, you know, he kind of, like, trying to sidestep around it a bunch, but the general's like, just spit it out, uh, Kirk Douglas. And, you know, what he tells them is that his son is yellow. All right, let, let me take it back a moment. I just want to add my two cents. That was great, and I'll probably use that more than what I'm about to say. Um, Dan Ackert walks into the general's quarters and they start immediately talking about who they're fighting. These men are both aware of what type of German forces lie on the other side of the enemy line. They're talking about this guy, Wurstensberg. I might have that wrong. 
but it's something like that. Mm-hmm. Wurzensberg or something. They rush through it pretty quick. Yeah, you know, they call him a son of a bitch. Yeah. They say that he always does it to them. Mm-hmm. They say, Wurzensberg, eins, zwei, dry. And, well, basically he's having, like, this really deep, emotional, romantic connection with this general he's never met based on... General the general. Yeah. General. Through the fight. Yeah. Through, through the, the fight. dying, the bloodshed of their men, they see the strategy... In their opponent, yeah, and has, they appreciate. He definitely it. has a twinkle in his eye for this yeah. this German uh, commander. Yeah, yeah. yeah he he likes dealing with this problem. So, definitely, then definitely turns him on. Then, our sergeant report, our sergeant yes. with the whistle from us, the beginning of the battlefield, who was looking for the lieutenant, who found him drunk, calling the retreat, drinking on the job, calling the retreat, fire that flare. That sergeant bursts in to the general's quarters, and he reports about the lieutenant, Carthrop, and how he just ordered the retreat. Exactly, exactly. Uh, obviously, the general is not pleased with no. this. He's like, that was the entire plan. Everyone was supposed to retreat. After that, it was, it was supposed to buy us time. That was, you know, and, you know, Dan Aykroyd's like, hey, Maybe we're done. Maybe we gotta like retreat. I don't never retreat. Yeah, Dan Aykroyd's reasonable. He's it, it, look. He's the guy I trust. Mm-hmm. He's the only one who's calm in the face of war. I would go with that. That that man's opinion over mm-hmm. anyone else's. And uh, the general, you can see the general is upset by this news. He's almost in disbelief. He he repeats, "Are you saying my son ordered a retreat?" I've never given up in my entire life, he says. We need to take that hill. So he's just, he's suppressing all this emotion of his son doing something that might be strategically sensible. I mean, Dan Aykroyd, he's seeing it. Mm -hmm. By the way, I want to make sure, what, where is Dan Aykroyd in the line? Do we know what his rank is? You know, I never really, I never really caught that. We just got, we just caught Dan Aykroyd as Dan Aykroyd. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right, Alex, we plays. All right, all right, all right, back in. Um, the general's getting pissed. The general did not approve the retreat. And the general, he's not retreating. But what he, so he's not going to retreat. He's going to, he needs something else to do. He's going to, you know, he's going to call B Company. And, hey, B Company can just swoop on in there, everything, you know. Everything's going to be fine. We'll move on. Yeah, he's as, just going to send uh, B Company up the hill. He, he knows gets, what he's doing. He, gets he knows Virchenberg, Vendensburg. He right? just dials him up. Hey, B Company. I've been Get thinking, up there. I've been thinking about you. Yeah. And it's time. Beep, beep. It's busy. It's not there. They can't get a hold of him. Well, the line's down. The line is down. So he's like, hmm, you know what? The best thing I can think of, I got to just, you know, courage, shame my son. And I gotta send him on a death mission to go get this repaired over enemy lines, because you know that's what you know. Carrying military pop would do. And, well, but he's pretty callous, so. Well, he's pissed. He he wants to send a message to B Company, but he can't because the phone radio Cable's line down. Yep. it's down. So he turns back to the sergeant, and he says. I need you to find that dead line. First he reports, he gives orders to the sergeant. And the sergeant says to the general, 
the lieutenant is my commanding officer, and I don't want to say this, but your son is yellow. Right, so they don't want him to actually go on, on the, the repair mission. No, because, because they recognize he's a coward. Understandably so. We can't have someone who's not going to actually help us. Mm -hmm. And your son isn't going to help us. We found him drinking in the beginning, calling a retreat. He's not going to do well on the front lines trying to repair the radio phone line. We can't have him there. It's, it's so apparent that the general just wants to prove to everyone that he has a big, strong, brave boy. And that, so he's going to send him on this, this uh, trip, even if it means uh, endangering the lives of everyone around his incompetent, fleebly hands, you know. I know, and at that moment, our lieutenant burst into the general's quarters. We've got the full lineup here. Mm -hmm. No, I think they asked for him to come. They, 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 they beckon him in. Either way, when he comes oh, in, the first thing he says is he wants a discharge. Yep, first thing, right out of his mouth. The lieutenant, son... The yellow coward of the family who called the retreat. The alcoholic. He wants out. But, hey, you know what? This kind of got to the point where I was like, you know what? I never really want to be in war because I just am too soft of a person. And it would, I, could, I, I wouldn't be very effective. I'm just going to say that. It's awesome that other people are able to do that. I, I just literally, I couldn't do it. So, mad respect. But at the same time, like, you know, he seems like he built his whole life around military, a military career, even if it was only kind of Pisa's dad. Like, he still made some conscious decisions to be there, so he shouldn't be that much of a coward. He should at least put, like, a little effort in. Well, you, I, okay. But who's to say? It was World War One. It was fucking crazy-ass hellscape. I, I'm not even going to get into it. I'm going to get into it a little bit, because I feel like there's an abusive relationship here between the general, the father, and his son, the lieutenant. The lieutenant just wants to retreat, stay alive, have a drink. I relate to that. I get that. That's what I want to do in life. I just want to retreat, stay alive, and have a drink. Oh, yeah. I do that all day anyway. <laughs> that is pretty much my life. Avoid conflict. Mm -hmm. Run from confrontation. Stay safe. <laughs> go home and drink. And I love life. So this lieutenant, he was forced early on, indoctrinated into this idea to be in the military. His father's a general. Obviously, his father grew up programming him to join the forces. Here he is. He's finally thinking for himself. And he's saying, no, dad, I don't want to be a part of this. I want to discharge. And his dad, the general, says, no, son. I I can't do that. Everyone will totally think I'm weak, bro. If I let you go home, everyone's gonna pick on me and be super sad. Well, you're looking deep into the general's subconscious. <laughs> he doesn't say that. He just sternly says, he says it with his eyes. I can't do that. <laughs> and the son says, you've never been able to do anything for me. But he doesn't want better. He's like, you know what? I What I can do is so go on my my fun little Suicide Squad type adventure. I'll, I'll move you to the back. I'll move you to the back line. You can sit back there, sipping margaritas, jerking off. You can do whatever you want, and, and it, we're, we're totally cool. You're, you're no longer yellow. 
Again, I like that you're reading so deep into his subconscious, kind of paraphrasing the feeling. But what he actually does say <laughs> is he says, I can't give you a discharge, but if you do this for me, if you repair that dead line so I can call B Company in, I will give you a transfer to the rear. Exactly, man. If you do this one <laughs> thing for me, and when he's saying this, He's actually stepping away from his son. He's stepping into the darkness, this corner of his quarters, where there's just shadow. And a single beam of light comes through and reflects across his eyes. And over his shoulder is his son. And he hears his father say, I'll transfer you to the rear if you do this for me. And he's, he's like, all right. Smash cut, next scene. He's walking down that trench. He's on a mission. He actually looks serious now he he's like i gotta do one more th i got one more job and i can finally get out of here yeah man he's wearing his helmet he's walking tall he's ready he's looking for his team because he's about to join the repair patrol on the front lines and it's the middle of the night it's totally the middle of the night right now um so like this guy has gone through a lot and everyone's been going through a lot, and now it's in the middle of the night, everyone's shell-shocked, it's gonna be the 50th day. You know, tensions are high. <laughs> so yeah, it was, uh, it was the middle of the night, they, he's got his team, and by he, I mean Lieutenant. And I wanna say Yellow. something. Ooh. I wanna say something about the actual lighting. I am impressed again and again with this show. It was a time before CGI when everything was physically lit. So when they do these long walks with one shot in a trench, he's actually walking 10, 20, 30 feet with all these bodies decorated along the side, with all this prop department and perfect lighting. So it feels like it is the middle of the night, but you can still see everything in the trench. Oh, and don't forget the guy eating beans. Oh, yeah. And there's a guy just eating beans uh, between dead bodies and limbs. It's and mostly dead bodies soldiers. and limbs, but there's one guy enjoy, really enjoying some beans. And there would be that God guy. God bless that guy. Yeah. <laughs> he earned those beans. He earns those beans, man. He's, he's 50th day of fighting. A couple more things. Um, the lieutenant gets to a corner of the trench where he meets up with Corporal Meade. And they're surrounded by dead and maimed bodies. And they're looking out over the battlefield. They can't see the break in the wire from the trenches. It's too far out. So they need to get a team together. And it's going to be the lieutenant, the son of the general, the sergeant, the whistleblower at the very beginning of the movie. Mm -hmm. Whistleman. Finding the lieutenant. Whistle grit. Yep. And a couple other guys they don't mention. We just yeah. have to assume that they're... Just nameless, nameless repair peeps. Yep. Pretty much. And the sergeant says, I don't see any point in going out now. It's too close to the German lines. If we can't see it from here, well. we've just got to go back. Well, this is before they even leave the trenches. Well, there's something that prompts that because when they're trying to look out and they're trying to figure out what their intel is, this guy zips back over the field because he was doing a scouting mission and reports that he did find the break, 
and there's tons of Germans around everywhere, and he's like visibly freaked out. Um, from that point, then the lieutenant starts to react in like, you know, yellow out again. You know, it's, it's just being a reasonable person. Want to get back yeah. home, have a beer, no one wants forget to, about fighting. No one wants to be in that hellscape. So no. yeah, I totally, I, I mean, I totally get it. But you know, he's got a job to do. That's the only way he's gonna get to the the back lines. Okay. I guess that focus. It's a shitty job. Somebody's got to do it, and he does get to retire after this, ish. But when that scout shows up and says they've crucified the wire, there's Germans everywhere. I don't remember them saying crucified, but <laughs> I have in quotes. Oh, crucified. Oh, okay. The wire. All right. Well, yeah, I don't remember that, but I will. I will. I will accept it. After this, we'll go back and look just to see if I made that up <laughs> or if it was actually in there. I'm just as into this, like interested as you are to see what happened in my brain there. Um, I'm not going to stand up for it. We're just going to move on. He, uh, the sergeant then replies, I don't see any point of going out now. It's too close to the German lines. We've just got to go back. But our... Oh, I fucked that up. I said the sergeant. I meant to say the lieutenant yep. then replies. And the sergeant, our whistleblower at the beginning, says, you've got to do this. We've got to do this. And they head out. Mm -hmm. Onto the battlefield. Into the night. And they, they're, on a, they're on a bit of a sneak. You know? they got to be quiet. Because these four men who are trying to find the line and then repair it so Company B can come in and take back that hill. Well, they're on their own out there. They don't want to make a sound because they have to get so close to the German side of the line to fix this line. They don't want a confrontation. They don't want to fight. They just want to get in, fix the wire, and get back and just all then, the way. And just then, a flare goes up. And it's on a little, funny little kite. Just flying through the air, and they're like, oh shit, and they get down, and they have to crawl to that crater. And that's where I believe the, you know, if this was a DD encounter, that's where they'd be rolling for initiative, or at least planning on something. Because now they're they're only 50 feet out, I think they said, from the wire. It was only gonna take a couple minutes. Eric Douglas, aka Yellow, doesn't want He's like, oh, no, no, he's really freaking out now. Uh, but they're like, they convince him, like, hey, you know, you stay back. Whistles, Whistle Grit gives him his whistle, his magical whistle, and he says, hey, if you see any Germans, you just blow on this. Yeah, let's slow that moment down real quick. That's a huge moment. They all jump down to the crater. They're hiding. They see the line. They see that they need to get even closer, and they decide, we need a lookout. And our sergeant... I think, says, they, I think they just kind of made that position up for him because he was, like, shitting his pants. I think they would have rather had him out there with him. But I, 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 I go on. I disagree. I think this is an actual position that needs to be held by someone as the lookout. And I believe that our sergeant in the beginning, from the moment that the battle scene opened, had this whistle in his hand and was coming from the rear calling out, where's the lieutenant? Where's the lieutenant? Mm -hmm. He knew that he had to get this order to either finish taking the hill or 
what ended up happening was the retreat got called, obviously. The point is, this job of a whistle man, this is real. We need a lookout. We need someone with a whistle to let us know when it all goes wrong. To be on the side. Yeah, like ancient, like ancient uh, battlefields where they'd have young boys with whistles who would uh, increase morale. Sometimes they'd bang drums or maybe even sing battle hymns. But yeah, the same thing. And, and you can see, even see that in today's modern warfare. We always have at least one drone that's carrying a tambourine, and that's to like really just, you know, get everyone else sight. We need whistleblowers. Yes. Can't live without whistleblowers. Multiple levels. So they gave him this honor of not only being able to stay back a little from the enemy line, just sit in your safe crater and be the lookout for us. Let us know. And the sergeant goes off with the other two repairmen, repairmen, toward the broken line that's sparking and swinging in the air, closer to the German side. Oh, it's not in the air at all, dude. It was on the ground. Are you kidding me? It was, it was a ground wire. If it was an in the air wire, it would be so visible. They crucified that wire in the air. Oh, man. This is... I feel like I am living in a Bernstein, Bernstein Bears universe right now. And it just happened while I was watching this episode. And Jesse over here... Is just completely. I don't know. I you might as well be Marty McFly and just disappearing out of this photograph because I don't. I don't. He's he's making these details. It was it was not in the air. It was on the ground. Anyway, it's not important. It's not important. They're fixing the wire, um, and you know, lo and behold, he's back there. He's like, oh man, oh man, oh man. I'm so nervous. Uh, you know what I'll do? I'll just have a little nip. He's got his flask. Hey, why not? Wait, he's why? sitting in a crater. Yeah. Well, he's being the lookout. He's doing his job. Nothing wrong with taking a little drink. Yeah, just relax. A little nervous drinking, and uh, lo and behold, a couple moments pass, uh, you know, a well-lit uh, German patrol kind of just stumble across this hill, and he's like, ooh, I only have the one job to do. Just got to blow the whistle. Oh, but oh, you know, I'll... I'll I'll alert them to my position so I don't want to die. He's like so close, he's pull, holding this bullet, this hollow bullet to his lips, he's about to blow it, and he's just like, nope, and drops it. And it a, hits his flask. Makes a clink, Ding. big old clink, and that's what alerts them to his position. But it's too late because they've already ambushed all the homies that he well, was supposed to like warn. It, it happens all at the same time. Yeah. He's got the whistle in his mouth, He's hesitating. The Germans are lining up. The line prepare. Uh, sorry, the he's got the whistle in his mouth, and he hesitates. And the Germans already have the rest of his patrol in their sights. They're lining their rifles up. They're about to take fire. He drops the whistle. The ting. They, the Germans, start firing at both of them. Him in the ditch, and they start firing at his repair patrol. They're just bullets everywhere. Oh, yeah, it's no massacre. one was prepared. So it's an ambush massacre. He should have. He should have warned him. Absolutely. He should have blown the whistle. Yellow. Oh, he had such an easy job. That's he it. Could have just laid in his crater, sipped on his flask, and 
tooted the whistle and everything would have been fine. His men would have had a chance. He would have done his job. He could have gotten sent to the rear of the line. It would have been sipping margaritas and being just cool in the shade for him. But you know Hanging up little cheap curtains. Yeah, yeah. He couldn't even do that. So he he nopes out of that situation real quick because he's like, oh man, I've seen all these people die. There's a guy... Oh, there's a guy who got blown up, and he got, you know, whistles, blows up, falls on him, like, 50 feet away, just blown to hell. He's got red paint all over him. He's he's smoking, and he's like, all I had to do was blow the whistle. Yeah, no, this is an amazing moment. This is my favorite part of the entire show. I really want to describe this perfectly if I can. Okay. The Germans had the jump on our repair patrol. And not only are they firing bullets at both sides, both our lieutenant in the crater and the men who were trying to fix the wire, but the Germans started throwing grenades. And one of the grenades perfectly blows up the sergeant into the air from the place he was repairing the line. And so far away. So like far away. Feet. You'd never guess. And his blown up body lands on our lieutenant in the crater holding his flask perfectly. and his unblown whistle perfectly. They're face to face. Yep. That's yes, my favorite he has to, part. He has to confront it. <laughs> and right, the sergeant shouts in the lieutenant's face, why didn't you blow the whistle? He did not shout. He was blown up, and he did a... You only had to blow the whistle. Like, it was definitely forced. There was no... Sh- come, did we... Is this the Bernstein Bears, like, universe? The Bernstein Bears universe? Because, I, man, I clearly remember... It, anyway... I'm focusing on all the wrong details. I'm sorry. I, I, we should, we should. Move yeah, why on. are you putting me in a corner, bro? I, I'm not I, your Berenstein Bears man. I, Maybe I just type something a little. You're different you're, sometimes. You're gaslighting my reality. It's all right. It's all right. I'm gaslighting your reality, <laughs> dude. <laughs> Maybe I have a typo and I read something wrong. Okay. <laughs> I'm gaslighting your reality, bro. Oh, and I'm pretty worried now. <laughs> All right, so anyway, he nopes out of there after he gets groaned at. All he had to do is blow a whistle. He's a coward, and he's like, nope. And he, he, you know, he, he pushes the dead body off from him. Like, he oh. runs away from the sergeant shouting, don't shoot, don't shoot. That's what he was shouting. I yeah. put shouting in with the lieutenant. Uh, Sometimes my notes. I get yeah, the yeah, moments. Yeah, yeah. I'm so, trying so to interpret them. Yeah, Definitely yeah. the wire was still crucified floating in midair, though. But other than that, so he, I make mistakes, too. He comes screaming over, you know, friendly border, saying, scream, don't shoot, don't shoot. Jumps in with the rest of the repair patrol. They're still holding down the unrepaired wire, and the lieutenant is freaked. But he's told by his men, well, we got to get back. We got to send a message back to the general. We got to let him know that we're under fire, that the line wasn't repaired. Mm-hmm. And so he, he dips. So Lieutenant gets out. Yep, he, dips. he runs. He runs back. All the way back across the battlefield, into the trench, into the general's quarters, and he reports. 
But you know what? He's got his big brave boy's got a big old story for him. He says, Hey, Papa, Papa Military Maya, I shot, I we got ambushed, and I, I, I did my best. I did my best. I shot all all I shot a whole bunch. I shot as many as possible. I just I kept shooting. I just kept shooting. It was I I, I truly I mean, I'm terrified, but I was a total badass Poppy Pop. We did our best and and you can see that this means a lot to General Daddy. <laughs> he has a big old smile on. You know, he's got a big, 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 brave boy now. So. And he says to his, his big, brave boy, <coughs> now that you've finally done your job, I need to send you out there again. You're a real hero to the men. They trust you. You need to get back out there. No, 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 because he's like, no, you gotta offer, you gotta honor our, uh, our agreement. He said, I, I did this. He's like, you know, I did, I did all I could do. I did my best. He acknowledges that, um, sent me to that, that back line. And General Daddy continues to smile and nod and saying, yes, you did. You did do it. And he says he's a man of his word. Which is why he needs to send you back out there. For the sake of the men. Again, we're going to rewatch this episode. Nope, he didn't. He didn't. He didn't say he needed to send him back out there again. Because, he did. are you sure? I am absolutely, dude. When I watched this, I didn't have anything in me yet. Really, I was just like, I don't know. Maybe my hands, I right? Mean, Alternate storylines uh, as to what I wish was happening. Okay, so what really happens in the Bernstein Bears universe is that he is going to acknowledge he's going to send him to the back lines. However, the sergeant, because he, he also asked, like, hey, and, and he was, I, I'm the only one who made it. Everyone who's dead. Oh, we should send some people to go find some people, uh, uh, you know, see if they're, they're hurt. Maybe we can bring them back. Nope, they're all dead. I saw it myself. I shot a bunch of people. Pop, I'm so brave. Can you get me out of here? He's like, yes, son. I, I'm a man of my word. I'm going to do it. And then the sergeant breaks in. The blown up sergeant. The, yeah, the one that was blown 50 feet, landed on him. What just And he's got, he's got his uh, helmet on his stomach, keeping God knows what's in there. Still, and how did he get back? No one knows. He's one tough cookie. But you know what? He had one thing he had to do left. He had to come in there and be like, tell you know, he told the story exactly how it happened. Our uh, our lieutenants just you know saying no, he's lying, he's delirious. Look at him, he's holding you know he's holding his guts in the goddamn bucket. Like he doesn't know what the hell's going on. He's click pops. Don't listen to this guy. I was so close to freedom, and he's like, nope, nope, nope. Your son's a yellow. He says, <laughs> Sergeant says. He didn't blow the whistle. He didn't blow the whistle. He got everyone killed. The lieutenant is yellow. yellow. And the sergeant dies. Right there. No, first, first, uh, because... He lets the helmet go from his midsection. And he's at like, which here's point my spaghetti. His midsection pours out. Here's my spaghetti. And as... The last bit of yellow. He struggles to say it. Yeah, 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 and he dies. And so the general's like, "Ho, ho, ho!" So, uh, 
So uh, is this this true? No, it's his son my Lieutenant says he's lying. My big big boy. He's saying he's lying. No, it's his words against mine. I killed as many as I could. Oh, oh, what? What's that on your head? Is that is that the gun you shot all those Germans with? Yes. Oh, whoa, whoa. hey, okay. Can I look at that? Uh, mm, uh, uh. Here, 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 here. Uh, let me just, let me just look at it. Hmm. You know what? This gun has never been fired. I can just tell. I'm a big brave war daddy. I can tell when a gun's been fired. You know what happens now? Court martial. Cut to a court. The general is at the head of it. Yeah, the general is the judge. Mm -hmm. And he is sitting at this large desk, looking out to his son, saying, You don't deserve that uniform. And his son's saying, I never wanted to wear it. But this is, this is also after he's already been condemned to death. Well, yes. <laughs> I mean, you're kind of glossing over the fact that he was like, hey, so you broke some rules, you're kind of a coward, uh, military law says, you know what? Off with his head. That's not, hey, nothing I can do, nothing I can do. Sends to death. His, his, own, his son. Firing squad. Firing squad. But you know where he sends him before he goes, well, you know, they have that little exchange about, I never wanted to wear this, I never, you know, and you're, you're starting to feel like, oh, man, you know, like, I kind of feel a little bad for him because, you know, he could have lived a life and been a normal person somewhere, but he just wasn't, wasn't, didn't, you know, he never wanted this. Uh, long story short, they send him to the same set, the same kind of dungeon mine where... Uh, the Cure recorded love song. Um, if you look really closely, you can kind of see the boot of uh, Robert Smith because he's, you know, they were shooting it. You know, they were doing a reshoot. You know, I don't know. But it is some type of catacombs of like a church as a prison. Yeah. With it, no bars. It was one of my. And a wide open room with arches. Yeah, and... don't give him his shoelaces, take away his belt. But I don't know. It was... He's just kind of free roaming in a giant ass tomb. Also, we cut to this tomb, and our lieutenant, our yellow coward of a son, is sitting there just like he was at the beginning, legs outstretched, crossed, leaning up against one of these giant pedestals of the arches, holding his flask, drinking his drink, and I think feeling a lot better about life in general. Well, he's kind of in that delirious state of, like, denial and accepting his inevitable firing squad death, and he's just all over the place. He, he's laughing, he's crying, um, you know, he's just like, yeah, you're a total piece of shit, Pops, like, I never even wanted this, I hope you enjoy just, like, killing your son, because I'm bad at, I'm bad at wars, I'm bad at war sport. And so, basically, he, uh, my, uh, Kirk Douglas, a.k.a. The, the General, he tells him, you know what, boy, you're not gonna die. I, you, every, every one of those guns, there's a, some, there's a few of those guns that have blanks. I'm just, I, I'm the one who loads that shit. I'm gonna put blanks on every one. I'm even gonna give you a little bit of a bag full of rations and shit, you just get the fuck out of here, we're moving right on. No one will know the difference. 
And he's like, really, Papa? Yeah, really. But you know what? Just one thing. You gotta die like a man. You gotta pretend like you gotta, you gotta be, be brave boy. Pretend like you can die like a man. And he's like, all right, well, this is a sweet deal. Uh, wow, I can't. I really thought I was gonna die. I really thought this was the end. And then an hour later, apparently, is also mid morning when it was just the middle of the night. <clears throat> That's a good point. Okay, before we get there, I wanna throw a couple things in. Uh, after the son says to the dad, I never wanted to wear this uniform. <laughs> yes. And he's taken yes. away. Dan Aykroyd, sensible, calm, Chill Dan Aykroyd mm -hmm. walks up to the general and he says, are you sure you should be doing this? Aren't you being a little hasty? Genuinely, just asks. Mm -hmm. The general bites down and says, I won't have cowards in my army. Yeah, he's super, super adamant about that. Cut to the prison scene. Yep, yep, the whole catacomb scene. And then the general... Seeing his son in the catacombs, lounging. He, he hears his son for the first time because his son actually is kind of going on, waxing poetically about how he's the general's son, the, the son of this great war hero. And yep. He confesses to his dad emotionally, sincerely, and he's afraid to die. I don't want to yep. die, he says. I'm afraid to die. Pretty Everyone cool. out in that battlefield is either in a state of fear or they're lying to themselves. I'm not going to lie. I don't want to die. Dad, I don't want to Pretty die. Pretty relatable. I'm afraid to die. Pretty relatable. And it's at that moment that we see something in the general I didn't expect. Mm -hmm. And it's compassion for his son. Yeah, where he offers him that deal. Where he, he tells him that he's going to load the blanks. And he... From there, you know, kind of gives him a sense of hope all of a sudden. Like, hey, you know what? I know we've had a rough go of it. Uh, you know, I was never really there. Um, you know, I, I was emotionally distant. You know, I, was, I guess that's just, my, I was, my dad and I were the same way. You know, it's just military. They, he kind of blames on just being in a military family. Uh, kind of a cop-out, in my opinion. But he feels a little bad, at least... Again, that's kind of your own addition to this story, seeing subconsciously into the general. You say I'm your Berenstein Bears, bro? <laughs> <laughs> I have things written down that might be typos, but you're, like, seeing into the story behind the story of the man's father-slash-son's-grandfather, their relationship... They said that shit. He did? They straight-up said that stuff. Like, okay. Oh, yeah, like, I wasn't around very much. I know that. I'm with you. And my dad wasn't around very much. He they says that. said that. Yeah. Okay. We're gonna watch this whole goddamn episode from the top. And you will realize... I just soaked up all these informations like without even writing. Like a nutrient Gets sponge. The I, halfway through, I'm know, sitting there with a the like, computer. I don't, I, don't, I don't need notes anymore. I'm rewriting the script word for word, scene for scene, if I can. That's, that's me just taking off my targeting computer. Ooh, okay. All right. The general <laughs> tells his son not to worry. He's going to save him, and like you said, he's even gonna leave some rations in what would have been the grave of his son. Mm -hmm. Food and money, so his son can get away. Mm -hmm. Live another day. He doesn't want his boy to die either, especially not a coward. Mm -hmm. 
So he might as well just help him fake his death. And then his son is free to go. And we cut to the church doors and a firing squad outside the church doors. mid-morning. Everyone's kind of mobilized, moving around. And it's a lot of men. Again, there's a lot of extras out there. There's a lot of men in uniform. This is a big firing squad. And General Daddy is standing at the very end asking his firing squad to present arms Mm -hmm. so he can load the bullets in every rifle. Mm -hmm. From his fanny pack. Yeah, from his bullet fanny pack. Mm -hmm. And he goes down the line, grabbing the rifles, loading the bullets. Assuming that he's sticking to his word, he's he's just putting blanks in there. Yeah. But his son comes out, you know, he's he's marching. Church door's open. Kind of a little, just a little cocky right off the bat, like... It's a great day to die, Father. Well, yeah. His and, dad but told it, him yeah. to do him one favor. But yeah, that's... Did we that's even mention that? that? Yeah, 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 yeah. We totally mentioned okay. that. But he, I feel like he takes it to like a snarky way. And because you see him like mid-loading and he's like, here's that. And then he like loads and he like has like a... Like maybe he was loading blanks, but when as soon as he started getting snarky about it and then kind of like... He did, but he did kind of turn heel... And, and and have kind of a, you know an honest pseudo honorific uh, ending speech, and it, it felt good. You know, it felt you know. I think that's everything his, his general daddy wanted to hear. And uh, I want to throw this in here. We said, but the, and I believe you. But the the general daddy then adds, "I want you to do one thing for me. I want you to face the firing squad like a man." Yeah. Can you do that for me? Oh, yeah. We, we definitely covered that. So when he's coming out and he's got that snarky look on his face and he's saying it's a good day to die. Good daddy. day to die, father. <laughs> I feel like he's just playing the part to the fullest. I think his dad's already proud. Mm. You're seeing something else into it. I, just I, saw, I saw a reaction where he was looking and then he like became more displeased from that and then continued in his scene. Because... Loading the rifles, that is. <clears throat> because he's got to deal with his son. He's going to let his kid get away, coward or not, as long as the kid pretends to not be yellow for this single event, his fake death. Mm-hmm. Then his son is free to go. So, yeah, did you want to finish this scene up? Did you have a bunch written down, or did you want me to summarize it and should we move on? Oh, I've got a lot to say about this last scene. Probably more about this last scene than everything we've talked about so far. All right. Well, then, um, you know, I'm going to let you lead this this part, and I, I'll just kind of pepper it with, uh, you know, if I have to have fun, anything to say. <laughs> the church doors swing open. There's a Spanish priest beside the lieutenant. Giving his last rites. The lieutenant is snarky. Says to his father, it's a good day to die, father. Mm-hmm. The son, the lieutenant, the son, starts walking down the line of firing squads as his father is loading up all the rifles. They cross each other's path, and his son looks out over a, an expanse of helmets on top of crosses on graves where all the other soldiers who had been shot were buried. And he makes it to the end of the firing squad line, and he walks up up onto a, a mound of ground that overlooks a large ditch where even more dead bodies laying down in the ditch. Yeah, sprinkled with lye. It yeah, like wrapped too. in white sheets with yeah. 
dapples of blood and lie. But there was tied that, off. there was that satchel though. He 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 immediately sees that and is like, "Yep, all right, we're on." His son stands there proudly before the firing squad. His father finishes loading the guns, and his son is now talking to Dan Aykroyd. Dan Aykroyd reads his charges, says that he's been court-martialed and sentenced to death, and would he like a smoke? He, he, he turns it down. No, no, but I'd, I'd like a drink, says if the I lieutenant. Could, if I could. Yeah. The lieutenant wants to have one last drink, and he pulls his flask out, takes a sip of his drink. Mm-hmm. Mm, Dan Aykroyd says, blindfold, lieutenant? Lieutenant, nah, waves that off too. But I have something to say. And he says to the firing squad and his father, Dan Aykroyd, I tried, but I am not the man my father was. I apologize. My threat of putting men in danger, not fulfilling my duty, and insulting my commanding officers, Reminds me of what Shakespeare once said. Cowards die many times before their deaths. The valiant never taste of death but once. And he looks at his father and he sees his father <laughs> smiling. That was such a serious reading of that. I feel, I feel like you're trying to kind of usurp, uh, you know yellow over here. I think you're trying to like, hey, maybe if we remake this episode, I, I could probably give that speech a little better. I think you're trying to, I think you were just trying to outshine our boy. I was just trying to do him justice, bro. <laughs> I was just trying to be in the moment with the character I thought he was. You said a minute ago <laughs> that you were pissed how over the top and snarky he was about it's a good day to die. He's still living out. He's that... flopping around. He's like exploring He's the space. Ready. Dude, he's got to fake his death. Yep. His dad and him have a deal. The general's going to let him go. He's selling it to the last moment. And I was just trying to reflect that. And if I remember correctly, he finishes his speech. And we hear the ready. Aim. And the smile in the general's face. Switches. He looks away. And that's when he knows. That's when the lieutenant knows. The, oh shit, oh shit, something's, something's wrong. Wait, 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 what? What, Dad? Dad, why aren't you looking at me? Why aren't you smiling anymore? Why are you closing your eyes? And looking and away. turning away. Boom. Boom, 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 boom. He just gets TKO'd with like, you know, RoboCop-esque finish. He's getting blasted away. He, I, there wasn't a blank in those bullets. Every one of those bullets was live Every rounds. last one. They knocked the lieutenant, the son, off of that mound of ground into the air and down into the ditch with the other dead bodies. With such force, he shot him right out of his Gosh dang boots. Yeah, the camera drops, and his boots are still sitting there kind of smoking. Like yeah. He was just knocked yeah. away. Yeah, the bullets, the bullets heated up his shoes a little bit. And the general... It slipped right off. The general opens his eyes and approaches that mound of ground over the ditch of dead bodies, and now where his 
Sun lies with bullets rattled in his abdomen. And the son is looking up at his father. And Dan Aykroyd also steps up to the mound. And his son has the flask that he's been sipping on since that opening scene. And the flask is sitting on his chest. And the son, he can't even say anything. His last breaths just slip away. And Dan Aykroyd says to the general, he died like a man. He sure did. Really ominous music starts playing. And the general says, yes. <laughs> My son is not yellow. And it zooms in on the flask on top of the dead lieutenant's body, still staring up at his proud father that he died not a coward. And the flask reads, as the camera continues to push even further in and closer onto these letters that are carved into the flask, to Martin, let courage be thy name. Love, Dad. 1927. <laughs> and we cut back to the Crypt Keeper, who is rope tied to a redwood tree. Getting kinky, getting kinky right <laughs> off the bat. He's in like a dungeon, but there's a redwood tree, lots of smoke, totally rope tied, still in his World War uh, reenactment costume. In World War One reenactment costume. And the only thing he can do is reach his arm to a lever, which he pulls and a rifle off camera fires into his chest. No, no, no. A, a series of six rifles drop down like an elaborate Rube Goldberg machine and, and shoot him six times, and he just loves it. He's like, yee-hoo! And that's, uh, you know, he says a few things. A no, that's no glory. Yep. And, and you know... This is, you know, after such an emotional episode, it's really nice to just have that lighthearted nature of the Crypt Keeper just, just warm my heart and just, and, you know, let me know that, hey, you know what, he's just going to keep being there, he's going to keep making ridiculous puns, and he's going to keep doing zany stunts, because he loves me so much that he wants me to be entertained. And, you know, I think that's something we can all, whenever you listen to this, you can always just think, the Crypt Keeper really loves you. He gives you an engaging summary in the intro, that kind of explains everything you're about to see. And in the end, he lets it all go with so many puns, you almost don't remember what you watched. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it slowly, slowly just severs those, those connections in your brain. Like the line that was severed, crucified in the sky over the battlefield. Oh, I was on the ground, clearly. But anyway, uh, enough semantics. We should, we should really wrap up we we give it a rating we gotta rate this um you know i'm gonna say i know what you're gonna say i know what the rating's gonna be this time and you didn't tell me well by all means well now i gotta let you figure it out no no we gotta you, see if we're on the should, same page you should just we should say it at the same time one two three Blasts. yellow <laughs> so the rating this time is going to be yellow flasks so but I, that didn't... Okay. <laughs> no, you know, yellow's flask. Uh, so it's, it's, it's going to be... Mm, you know, I'm, I'm, always, I'm always rating it right off the bat and uh, explaining my reasoning later, so I'm just going to keep with that. 
in mind and you know what 8.65 yellows flasks out of 10 yellows flasks okay and wait uh, I have to explain my situation you gotta let me finish so um, this was a, a, a you know truly a remarkable episode of Tales from the Crypt. Um, it had you know those moral twist endings. Uh, they were great. Uh, you had your gore. You had Crypty doing his thing. It was all just ten out of ten. Um, I think it did kind of have some brief moments where it lulled a little bit, but overall. Great direction, great lighting, great acting for the most part. Uh, a re- you know really relatable story, and you know the the, the ending really kind of you know left you with kind of a sick feeling in your stomach at the end. And you're like, oh shit, like, oof, that's that's kind of a lot to take in, a lot to process. Um, I'm guess I'm gonna say, moral of the story here is, if you wanna be a dancer, don't go to World War One. <laughs> okay. All right, yeah. Fair enough. Again, alternate storyline. Not sure I remember the lieutenant saying you want to be a dancer, but I get what you're saying, metaphorically speaking. I would give this 10 flasks out of 10. Flasks. Yellows. Flask. Because I was so engaged with all of the actors, I saw everybody's side. Mm-hmm. I got why the general was so disappointed in his son after bringing him up through the ranks, literally. Mm -hmm. I got why the son felt so disconnected from his dad that he was forced into the forces and he just wanted to retreat and retire and go to the rear and have a drink. Who wouldn't? And dance. Okay. I even got Dan Aykroyd. Calm, collected, saying things like, maybe retreating is the right move, and are you sure you want to kill your son? And then, you know, he did die like a hero. Dan really gave us the arc of this entire thing. Mm -hmm. He put a perfect gradient between the son and the father, the general and the lieutenant. This family drama that was even quoting Shakespeare at the end. It was epic. It deserves a 10 flask out of 10 of Yellow's flasks. It deserves 10 of Yellow's flasks out of 10. Oh, yeah. And if there's any moral for me, I think it's to not put expectations on others. Because the dad should have let his son quit, should have discharged him, never should have brought him up into this high rank where he has all this responsibility. He expected his son to be a hero. He didn't want him to be a coward. How about just let it go, Dad? Let your son be whoever he wants to be and support that in any way you can. You could have discharged him. You could have moved him to the rear earlier. You didn't have to bring him up trying to make him something, a reflection of yourself. Just let him go. And then the son, I mean, what do you expect from your dad? You should have never signed up. You should have told your dad that you weren't into it. 
You shouldn't play with Barbie dolls. Don't play with guns. Go a different direction. Be someone else. Oh, so so am I getting this right that your your moral of the story was you should have played with Barbie dolls and not with guns? Is that the the, the succinct? You know, I didn't uh, know you, that that's you, what I was saying. How would you boil this down? To would, hear that how out you, loud. How would you boil this down? I think that the moral of the story for me was you should have played with Barbie dolls instead of guns. And your dad would have had to support you or let you go, but Barbie dolls would have been the toy if you wanted to avoid the forces. And, of course, age-appropriate you know, during World War One, Understandable. I can see that. I can see what you... Okay. Well... Not I, that every baby who plays with Barbie dolls over guns doesn't go into the forces at some point and become a hero. <laughs> Just to say that the Barbie might have been a toy choice if you wanted to avoid... Uh, if you wanted to avoid a life of war. You know what? Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, maybe that means something. I don't know. But I think... I don't know. I think that's probably going to do it for us tonight. I just wanted to thank all, all listeners. Thank you. Uh, it's, it's been so nice. Um, and like I say, every... At the end of every... every, every, every and as usual, and, and boils and duels. And as usual, boils and ghouls. Have a good night.